0: Now, you were given a handout. This is, I tried to make it just two pages, front and back, okay? Uh, because you're not gonna, and you don't need to look at anything more than that probably, right? Uh, but this will be helpful uh, to get some idea of what Hebrews is about, what the point is, who he was writing to, who the author was, what was their relationship. Uh, and how we can benefit from this uh, great work uh, ourselves. Uh, That'll always be out there, and you can recommend it to visitors when they come and say, hey, there's a little introduction that can catch you up. Now, this morning, we're going to begin with a kind of an extensive reading of Hebrews because, one, the, the writer of Hebrews, as every commentator points out, has written really not so much a letter although there are few letter aspects toward the end but it's a sermon and he uses words like saying and speaking and hearing and it's as though he wants to be there speaking these things to them he knows them he talks about hoping to be restored to them toward the end of the uh, letter or sermon Uh, he's called by some commentators the pastor uh, whether he's Apollos or Barnabas or Luke we don't know uh, but he was in Paul's circles he knew Timothy uh, talked about he and Timothy being with the Hebrews sometime in the future so he, he was a pastor to the churches and had a special relationship with these people and knew them and knew some of their history and so he's he, he would like to be there and he's talking as though he was there for that reason I think it'd be really helpful for us to Read some of this as he meant for it to be read and sometimes that's one of the richest richest things we can do is just read the word and the portions I've selected center around the person of Jesus Christ which is really the centerpiece of what he's doing here uh, to the end that he can exhort them to continue uh, to give themselves to Christ to continue to hold fast their hope which is the title of our whole series holding fast our hope and just so you know like a person who's uh, being uh, the verdicts being read they have to go to jail for three years and then they say the, the 300 days you've already spent in jail count against that so this is counting against the whole sermon okay it's just part of the sermon, So <laughs> There's not a sermon tacked on to this, as part of it, right? So, whew, aren't you glad? <clears throat> okay, so turn then to Hebrews in your uh, Bible. The, if you want to use the Bible that's in the pew, it's on page 1001. And we'll just range through Hebrews And again, just note the the mounting, glorious things that are said about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things... then Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 this same glorious Christ spoken of in Hebrews 1 is being spoken of here since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death and In the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. in time of need then Hebrews 7 verse 25 consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who are who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them for it was indeed fitting That we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Then we skip to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And Hebrews 10:11. Speaking again of his great act of sacrifice. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified and then to skip to verse 19 of that chapter based on everything that he has said about Christ therefore brothers since we have confidence 12 verse 22 contrasting how those in the Old Testament stood before Mount Sinai he says this about us and notice it's in the past tense it's it's already happened we're already there (laughs) but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem just drop down to verse 28 speaking of the final day since therefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire now to summarize what he sets forth here about Christ, about the glory and beauty of Christ. The Son of God, the one who made the world, the one who holds all things together, the one who is the image of the Father. And because he's the image of the Father, he did all of these things because he perfectly showed forth the Father's love. This Son of God took upon himself flesh so that he could bear the wrath of God away from us so that it would fall upon him he became flesh so that he could die for us and therefore destroy death for us he died so that he could set us free from our slavery to the devil He takes away the fear of punishment that the devil had always used to enslave us. And so now we're truly set free. We're set free from condemnation and wrath. We're set free from death. We're set free from the slavery to the devil. So he came to suffer for us, to liberate us. And he died. That's the negative side of what he saved us from and he died to give us unlimited access to God. Now we can have confidence to enter into God's presence any time, all the time, through the blood of Christ. We can draw near in full assurance of faith, knowing that we are freely and gladly accepted through Christ, no matter our sin our hearts are sprinkled clean our consciences can be at rest before his holy presence that's what Christ has won for us and he says we already have come to the heavenly Jerusalem we already have our place there before God with the angels and the Saints that have died and are made perfect. And we are there with Jesus whose blood, unlike Abel's that cried out for vengeance, cries out and even demands and it gains free forgiveness for us. It's a beautiful picture, that blood that cries out for us. And you receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Kings and queens the kingdom is yours. Nothing can interfere with this inheritance. Nothing can shake it. So you have access to God. You are in communion with Him. You are there among the saints. You are inheritors of a kingdom. This He accomplished for you in His suffering. And now, because He suffered and was tempted. He comes to your aid when you are tempted. He sympathizes with your weakness because he's been tempted in every way you've been tempted. You can always, always find help in time of need. Or as one commentator put it, help that arrives at the right time, every time. He suffered so that you can have that. It's yours from Christ. He's the author of your faith, the finisher of your faith. He's your example. He's gone before you. He can bring you through anything and everything that you will face. He suffered so that you would have that kind of high priest, that kind of faithful, merciful high priest. And as we read, he always intercedes for you. He always brings you and all that you're facing before the Father, you're never forgotten. Most of us know what it's like to be at the pool, and your kid has found the diving board, and he jumps in eighty-five times, and every time he says, "Look, Daddy, look!" Okay, okay, I love this. You know, <laughs> no kids, we do love to watch you. On those. Don't think your parents don't; they just love to watch you. That's never the case. He's always looking. He always knows you. He always knows your need. And he's always interceding for your needs. Always. Faithful, merciful high priest. So, he sets Christ before them. But he calls this whole sermon, and this is why we one of the reasons we think it is a sermon is he calls it my word of exhortation in chapter 13 my word of exhortation the whole point as as many have pointed out all of this doctrine this rich teaching of Christ is all pointed to this end to exhort them and them and encourage them to stay faithful to Christ in the midst of persecution They're in danger of abandoning their confidence in Christ and their confession of Christ. They're in spiritual crisis. They had faced persecution early on in a noble way. They sacrificed their property and well-being in order to help their brothers and sisters in prison, knowing that that I'll probably lose everything by going to visit them, and they did it. But persecution has worn on them And a fresh wave has likely begun and some of them have already abandoned the fellowship the hearts of some are hardening to this gospel it's not so important to them they're not willing to suffer for it they're ready to give up it's into that circumstance that he is setting forth this feast of Christ And you can, here's another reading. You don't have to turn to these passages, but just hear, just listen to how he addresses them again and again. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. Later, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, like the Israelites did. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then listen how he follows. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See the urgency of it urgency of holding on to each other and speaking to each other and bringing Christ before each other all the time therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach that rest let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may be may fall by the same disobedience speaking of the Israelites and in Hebrews 6, as we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you won't be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he whose promised is faithful. Don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Lift up your drooping drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but be healed. See that you do not refuse him who's speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them from earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And then he gives the analogy as the uh, bodies of animals were brought outside the camp and burned. So Christ suffered outside the gate uh, for us. And listen to what he says. And here's right into the face of the persecution they were facing. Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. So the Lord Jesus bore this reproach and this hatred and this persecution, he's saying, and he was cast out like a piece of garbage. Go out there and stand with him and bear that reproach. See, this is a rescue sermon. He's throwing in this lifeline. He's dropping spiritual food and water and medicine to people who spiritually are dying in a flood. And what is the lifeline? What is the food and water and medicine that they need so desperately? And it may seem trite, and it may not seem earth-shattering, though it's more than that. It's universe-shattering, really. Is Jesus Christ. They need to see his magnificence afresh. They must see his magnificent displayed and brought afresh to their hearts. That's why he even begins the letter that way, right, with Christ. And he over and over just keeps delving into the riches of what Christ has done for them. So, though the whole letter is this word of exhortation, that everything he says is devoted to the end of shaking them and convincing them to continue to hold fast their hope, the tool he uses is Christ. Describing who he is, describing how great his work for sinners is. Trying to make them be in love with Christ again, to be stirred and moved to an adoration of Christ again, to be amazed at Christ, to capture them and grip them. It's because the beauty of Christ has faded from their hearts. That now they can be close to abandoning him in the face of persecution. See, at this point, persecution is real, and in our lives, tragedy is real, and devastating loss is real. And if Christ is not real to your hearts, you won't continue to trust him as you suffer. You just won't. It's not real. It's fake. It's it's it fades out. And this is so hard for us. And it may not be that you openly abandon the church, as some of these church members have done in Hebrews. Without open persecution, many stay in the church, but their affections are not lively for Christ. That's faded a long time ago. Maybe never was much there. And we have to hear, take care lest there be in any one of us an evil, unbelieving heart. We must hear that to exhort one another so that we won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And, you know, I'll put it this way, and, and if anybody needs to hear this, I do as a pastor. I, I do as not just a pastor, as Darwin Jordan, who struggles with my love for Christ as well. But I have to beware of ever, and just put it in this metaphor, shrugging my shoulders at Christ, you know? Where you hear about his beauty, you hear about the cross, you hear about his sacrifice, you just think, eh, okay, I know, I've heard it, Uh, how many times, you know, all that. Happens to kids a lot raised in the church. It's kind of, you hear it and you kind of steel yourself against it and it never plants in your heart So a warm affection, an amazement, astonishment, an adoration for Christ has never been planted there. You see, we're to be held and gripped by Christ staring at him in a way like you would the stars or that white tiger at the zoo or that eagle that I saw land in the backyard of a house one time, or a sunset, or a whale breaching by your boat—you just can't take your eyes off of it, brothers and sisters. That's that's what he's trying to do in this book, so that they, they just can't take their eyes off the beauty, the majesty of Jesus Christ. That's what will hold you. Not only hold you in persecution, but that's what will hold you to continue to obey, to continue to become a better husband and father and wife and mother, to continue against sin in your life, to continue to give yourself to to prayer and the Word. It's Jesus, Jesus at the heart of it and it is so hard we tend to be so neglectful grace fades so quickly the Puritans would liken it to a small fragile flower that had to be guarded and nurtured every day our gripping view of Christ is that tender and by God's grace, it will be sustained. But from our perspective, in terms of the care you and I have to take, we must think, I've got to carefully guard and nurture a vivid awareness of his greatness. That's really, in a sense, your chief work <laughs> from which everything flows a moving perception of his beauty, the gladness that he 's acted on your behalf, the wonder that you 're forgiven, the wonder that you 're accepted and favored by God through christ 's suffering, that you have unlimited access to God. take care, this writer says that you not be deceived by the, that you not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hardening is sometimes gradual, it progresses imperceptibly you're deceived that it doesn't matter if you don't pray it doesn't matter if you don't attend bible studies or sunday school it doesn't matter if you don't meet with other saints for encouragement in small groups or in one-on-one or or one another's home or whatever and i'm not saying you've got to do any particular one of those things but just the attitude just the heart of saying i need to be with god's people so i can be encouraged so that i can keep alive this beauty of Christ in my heart so that I can be stirred up and when you begin to think I don't need all this care then beware that that's not the beginning of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin so we need to be stirred up for Christ and this is what God's about in our lives I I'm always struck by God, by Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 for the uh, people at Ephesus. He says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, that means the full extent of God, the full capability God has, that you will be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being for the end result that you with all the saints may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It takes the infinite power of God working in your inner man, saving you and me, that we could continue to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, I knew nothing among you save Christ and Him crucified. didn't mean that's all he said but everything hovered around Christ and him crucified and that's basically Hebrews message Christ and him crucified he said that that was the whole that's the heart the molten core of everything that I spoke to you it's interesting in Galatians 5 6 where he says faith expresses itself in love what expresses itself in love faith faith in Christ excited faith that depends upon faith of Christ and commits itself to Christ and adores Christ. It's that faith that issues in love, only that faith. Our love to one another depends on this love, this joy in Jesus himself. And so we need to see him as he's shown in the many, many ways in the Old Testament, as he's set forth in the Gospels, in the letters, even in, in gloriously in Revelation, we need to be like Paul who said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as refuse for that one thing, which means in everything I do and all of my wonderful responsibilities in every area of life, my family, my work, my community, church, it's all part of my seeking after Christ, to know Him, to know Him, to be a part of Him. So think of your life, you know, like this great safari, like this exploration of a European city or a string of villages or a tour around Iceland like the Jones got to go on recently or like a cruise to Alaska this is what a safari we're on to discover the Son of God and to be thrilled by him this isn't a boring expedition it's a thrilling expedition It's one that you are made for as a human being because you're made to know God. And how has God made himself known? In the person of Christ. This is how you know God. You're made for God. This is it. This is who you are. So, may we... Be filled to the fullness. May the Spirit work in all of His power in our lives so that together we will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And in so doing, may continue to profess Him. Let me read to you again what we sang in our first hymn. It puts it so beautifully. i end with this. So in that last verse, whether our tomorrows be filled with good or ill, we'll triumph through our sorrows and rise to bless you still to marvel at your beauty and glory in your ways. You see, marveling at his beauty is the way that we move through and are sustained amidst terrible sorrows to continue to confess Him and seek Him and know Him in the midst of all. May God grant it. Let us pray. O Lord, bless us as we launch into this mighty book of Hebrews, this pastor's effort to woo his people, these people, away from The temptations of the world, the temptations of persecution that hold out to them other forms of escape, other hopes, other confidences, other lives of blessing. Lord, fortify us and strengthen us on the beauty and glory of Christ that we can realize to lose him is to lose everything. And to lose everything to have him is to gain everything. Oh, Lord, we are weak. We are helpless. We confess how quickly how quickly our hearts fade, how quickly we shrug our shoulders at you, how easily we begin to be hardened in different ways. Oh, Lord, continue to save us, rescue us, work in us by your powerful spirit so that we, with the hope of your work, can with Paul truly say, I count all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Oh Lord, give us that gift that we may give that gift to each other, that we having that kind of faith in Christ, that this faith will then issue in the boldest kind of joyful love for one another for what Christ is to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.